Well, it is so good to be here with you today. It's really a privilege. And um, yeah, just a little bit about myself. I actually am from the promised land, from New Jersey. <laughs> you haven't been there. And uh, I grew up in a, in a Jewish family uh, where Jesus was a bad word. And that's a long story in and of itself. Uh, but praise the Lord, my mother uh, back in the late 1970s, met a Jewish lady who started to talk to her about Jesus. And over a period of several years, my mother wrestled with it and finally came to the conclusion uh, after studying the scriptures that Jesus is Lord and Messiah. Uh, she shared that with my father. My father cried and then he was angry. Uh, but over the course of the next few years, my father started to see that there was something different about my mother and um, several years later, my mother, uh, they were talking and my father said, I want you to show me, um, why do you believe in Jesus but I don't wanna look at the New Testament? You see, we were always told that the New Testament was an anti-Semitic book. The reason we believe that is because Christians hated Jews in history and they have the religion called you know, Christianity and so the New Testament surely talks about hating Jews. That's what we thought. So my father didn't want to touch the New Testament and so she read to him Isaiah 53 and my father got really angry. And he said, Lorraine, I told you I didn't want to hear the New Testament. <laughs> well, Murray, that's in our side of the book. <laughs> in any case, um, my father said at that moment, even if it's true, I cannot believe this because it was so ingrained in us, really from, from our mother's womb, that Jesus is not for Jews. And uh, God started to work in my father's heart, and a few months later, my father came to faith uh, in an amazing way. And up until that point, my mom and dad had forced me to go to synagogue every week. Suddenly, they started dragging me to a church. I thought they both went crazy. Uh, but during that time period, God did some pretty amazing things and praise God, uh, the greatest discovery I ever made was that Jesus is not Catholic. <laughs> I, I, I really thought that Jesus was Catholic growing up and then he was probably from California <laughs> because he had long hair and it was, he was usually blonde and anyway, I just, again, I had no clue but in an amazing circumstance, God really came into my life. And um, in fact, just a brief story, and I'm gonna show you, actually, don't get nervous, but I'm, I'm wearing a tie clip. And this tie clip was a gift for my bar mitzvah. And the reason I'm wearing it, I don't like wearing ties, but I did it for your sake. <laughs> but the tie clip, the tie clip, um, was given to me by a lady named Esther Galili, who was the third generation Jewish believer in her family. I had, was a brand new believer. And she gave me this tie clip for my bar mitzvah. And it was an odd thing, but it came with a note. And it said this, Dear Seth, uh, this tie clip belonged to my father, Isaac Feinstone, who dedicated his life to sharing the gospel with the Jewish people. And I know that that's what you're going to do as well. And so... Um, this tie clip 
is why I'm here. I mean, God used this tie clip to bring me here, and so it is a really uh, an honor and a privilege to be with you. I'm actually really excited about what, what I come to share uh, from the land of Israel, but primarily from the scriptures. Uh, I'm hoping that the PowerPoint's going to work, but if not, we'll do things the old-fashioned way, right? The great way. So what I wanna talk about, Jews, Arabs, and the church. I wanna talk about the church-driven paradigm for ministry in the Middle East. And so um, I come to you, I've served as, I was a lecturer in biblical studies at Israel College of the Bible. I've been the academic dean for the past seven years, and I've really, really been privileged uh, to serve in in that ministry uh, at the Bible College. Our Bible College is located in Netanya, which is in between Tel Aviv and Caesarea on the coast. In fact, Kosti's family uh, comes from not so far away from our Bible College. Um, I get really excited about the church. Uh, I've been studying now for the past half a year uh, Ephesians. I actually use Ephesians for discipling. And so I work with a group of men and we've been studying through Ephesians. I believe that Ephesians is such a crucial book in terms of identity. Uh, In the book of Ephesians, we discover that the gospel is not the ABCs of the Christian life. It is the A to Z of the Christian life. And so Ephesians is a phenomenal book because it really does talk about identity. And it is probably one of the most beautiful descriptions of the church. The church is a miracle. And I see in the Middle East a need for an ecclesiological focus, particularly in a very eschatologically divided church. And so my experience as I've traveled around the world, and it's, Israel's kind of a buzzword, Palestinian buzzword. Um, and we are... Our, our country and the things going on in our country, the whole Arab-Israeli conflict, has created a lot of divides, and not only in Israel, but around the world, and not only around the world, but in the church. And my experience is that people relate to Jews and Arabs in the Middle East like Coke and Pepsi. And so, if you really love the Jewish people, and I've noticed this again and again, and, and, and it's sad to me, but... I have people that really love Israel, but then you start to hear them talking about Arabs and the Palestinians, and you realize there's no love whatsoever. And then I've met many times missionaries that have gone and spent many years in Muslim countries, and they sort of start to imbibe this hatred towards Israel and the Jewish people. And so the sad thing is, is that it leaves the actual Jewish people and the actual Arab people and the Palestinian people in Israel kind of caught in this middle of this, in the middle of this tug of war kind of a game where there's kind of a, just a real lack of gospel focus for what's going on there. Some people have thought that the way to bridge the gap and to bring Jews and Palestinians together is through reconciliation ministries. And I don't know, I've, it's been a long time since I've lived in the United States. I, I left, I've lived in Israel since 1993, and so I don't know the state of affairs here in the, in the United States so much, but 
my experience is that reconciliation ministries don't work, at least in the Middle East. Now that sounds harsh, but let me just explain to you what I mean. So the way that the reconciliation ministries typically work is that you have a Jewish guy and you have an Arab guy and you're coming together to be reconciled. But you've already started off on the wrong foot because you're actually acknowledging your point of contact is your differences that you're trying to overcome. And so you're focusing in the wrong place. The wounds are too deep. The pain, uh, the narratives that come with the situation are so embedded and so ingrained. And so at the ministry that I work for, so let me just kind of give you a quick explanation. So the college is called Israel College of the Bible, but it's part of a larger ministry called One for Israel. Think of One for Israel as two arms. So we've got the media branch of One for Israel, and you may have seen some of our videos. We put out videos, for instance, I Met Messiah uh, is put out by our our college, and we do a lot of videos uh, for the sake of the gospel in Hebrew, also in Arabic to reach our our Muslim neighbors. Um, But at the college, we've had a very different paradigm. We, We start when, when Jewish and Arab believers come together, we're not trying to be reconciled because scripture says that we already have been reconciled. There's no need to reconcile because we are reconciled in Christ. And so let me just go back a second, sorry. What I wanna do is I just wanna give you a little bit of a taste and hopefully this video will work. Um, several years ago, the senior pastors Uh, the senior leaders and pastors uh, were invited, Arab and Jewish pastors were invited to come for a year of theological and biblical training in order to give them tools. And so this is the result, and you'll get a little taste of what it looks like to bring Jewish and Arab people together under the banner of Christ. In 2014, we opened the first cohort of an MA program in pastoral ministry for senior pastors of both Messianic Jewish pastors as well as Evangelical Arab pastors serving and studying together. So as I entered to the class, my first impression was this is going to be great, but it's not going to be easy. Especially I felt that we are fulfilling a prophecy. It's a unique because uh, I never experienced something like that. It's really, it's like heaven on earth. Like half Arab, half Jewish, studying together. It was, in a way, like back to school. Because when you are a student, you are thinking like a student. You are not anymore pastor or whatever. You are a student. So as we started to sit, we are asking, when is the break? (laughs) Ha, 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 ha,
We really wanted to create a program where senior pastors, people that are in the trenches, that are giving and giving and giving, and many times don't have a place where they can receive, they can come here for one year, get not only training for what they do, but also a place where they can receive encouragement, unity. When I received the call from the ICB, I didn't know, is it a joke or what? As if I have free time by my regular life. I didn't know what to expect being with a group of Messianic and Arab. I, I thought in a certain time we will be maybe uh, arguing, maybe uh, clashing. Who are these people? Are really the believers? Believe in the Messiah, believe in Jesus? What will I share with them? And how do they accept me as an Arab pastor? And do, how does I accept them as, you know, Jewish pastors? There was a lot of questions in my mind, you know. How they pray, how they worship, how they teach the Word of God. It's the same like us. Tension that was between Jews and Arabs is very high. So when Jews and Arabs come together and to study God's Word, one of the challenges is to come to a deep unity. But when you put all our guys together, listen, we had fun. Sometimes the teachers had problems to calm us down and to be serious. We simply enjoyed sharing jokes, I mean holy jokes, together in the class. To the best of my knowledge, a group like that, studying in a formal academic setting for a whole year uh, with a very high level of commitment has never ever occurred. For about 20 years I was not in a, in a course. I was challenged if, even as a pastor. The academic level relate to other uh, colleges, I can say excellent. Even though that I'm preaching already 26 years, I receive a new way. It was a year of education, most important thing. A standard of teaching, a standard of how to approach the Bible, a standard of church management. Lecturers that they brought in, I mean, not speaking of Erez and Seth and, and uh, Thomas and all those who came to teach us, but also the professors that they have invited from abroad to come and teach was so, um, I mean, was so meaningful. I can always hire a secretary to do the administrative management as an NGO, as the government wants. But as a pastor elder, I'm measured by God by the way I deal with this world. And when the ICB gave me enhancement for this tool, that's what counts in the end of the day before the throne of Christ. It's not the education thing that I got. It's divine appointment. We should act toward knowing everybody, especially as a ministers, as a pastors, as a leaders, or the unity of the leaders can move and mobilize and transform the whole Israel. So, you got a little bit of a taste of this program that we, we had, and it really is something quite amazing. Uh, again, I emphasize we're not a reconciliation ministry. We came together, and we took as the foundation the fact that Christ is our peace, that Christ has reconciled us. And so what I wanted to share with you is the importance of the church for ministry in the Middle East. Why? Why is the church so important? And the first reason 
is because the church is the only place where Jews and Arabs are really near, are really near. So what I would like to do, we're gonna be looking at an amazing passage, Ephesians chapter two. <clears throat> I'm gonna have some, the verses up here as well. Ephesians chapter two, we're gonna be looking at verses 11 through 22. Um, I've gotta say that I've been studying this passage now uh, for the past several months, and it is probably the most spectacular, the most beautiful passage when it comes to describing the miraculous nature of the church. And so I want you to notice, as I understand Ephesians, and as I've kind of read through it several times, it seems that the Gentiles were feeling kind of second class with their Jewish brothers and sisters. And when you feel second class, and you feel like you're not worth much, you start to act second class. You start to act less than what you ought to. And so it's clear to me that in Ephesians, the book is divided into two, 40, 41 commands in the book of Ephesians, 41. 41 imperatives, okay? The book is divided into two from chapter one to chapter three, chapter four through six. There's one imperative in chapter Chapters one through three, one. You do the math, how many are left in the second half of the book? 40. So Paul is clearly interested in behavior. He really is interested in behavior. The key word in the second half of Ephesians is walk. Paul is, wants us to walk in a manner that's worthy of our calling. But what is this calling? And who called us? Chapters one through three, a really beautiful, amazing exposition that begins with the praise of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, guess what? Chapter three ends with another doxology, a blessing to him who is able to do far more exceedingly above more than we can think or imagine, amen. And so all of the first half of the book is, is it wrapped around the works of God. See, I believe in a works-based salvation. God does the work. We believe. I am a firm believer in works-based salvation. And so one through three describes the amazing works of God. And all we're called to do in chapter two, verse 11, the only thing we need to do is remember. Remember who we, are, who we were and who we are now. And so Paul is addressing a group of Gentiles who felt second class. And what he's trying to do is to show them the miraculous work of God in Christ through the Spirit. Ephesians, one of the most Trinitarian books in the entire New Testament, all about the Father's work through the Son by the power of, of the Messiah or by the power of the Spirit. So if we look in Ephesians chapter two, we'll start in verse 11. Verses 11, and we're gonna read uh, in through, through 13. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. I want you to notice something really important. This whole passage is framed by a contrast. He begins with the flesh, verse 11. If you look down at verse 22 in your Bibles, notice how it concludes in the Spirit. In the Spirit. 
And so really, it begins with the flesh. And I want you to notice that circumcision was what God commanded the Jewish people to do. And it's the circumcision was that very act that excluded the Gentiles from participating in this plan or the promises. So let's keep reading. Notice what he says. I'm going to repeat the verse again. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. I want you to notice that the reason that they were outside the pale of these promises was because of their flesh, because of circumcision, which was something that was commanded by God. But it was the flesh that actually kept them excluded. But I want you to notice verse 13. But, but now in Christ. This is the second but in, chap, in Ephesians chapter 2. One of the most amazing <laughs> contrasts in all of Scripture. You look in chapter 2 verse 4. We were dead in our sins. We were dead under the power of Satan. In the flesh. A mess. But God. But God who is rich in mercy, loved us. And I want you to notice, here's this another but, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I want you to notice, in the Middle East, flesh goes deep. Ethnicities divide. Histories have divided us. There's been a lot of bloodshed. And every time more blood is shed, the distance between Jews and Arabs grow. What's interesting, you, you saw the program that we, we, the first program that we did, the MA in, in Pastoral Ministry, <laughs> we started it right after the Gaza War. And it was really tough. And in fact, several of the most of the Arab pastors, if not all of them, received so much pressure that it was that we found out a couple days before we started the program we're not going to come. But we prayed and we sought God, and they came, and they came. But there's a lot of bloodshed that drives a distance between Jews and Arabs. But there was one person who shed his blood, one Jewish man who died in the Middle East, one Jewish man whose blood was shed to to bring Jews and Arabs near with no distinction, with no divide. And so at Israel College of the Bible, our experience is that when you focus on the blood of Christ and you realize that in the flesh, There are distinctions, but no longer in Christ, we are all near, near to God and near to one another. And we celebrate this 
nearness. And this nearness only takes place within the context of the church. Within the context of the church. As I said, we started that program during the Gaza War. I'll never forget the first day that we sat in this class. We had the Jews and the Arabs in the classroom. The tension was high. And none of us knew exactly what would happen. But we were determined to focus on the finished work of Christ. We were determined to focus on the Great Commission. We were determined to give these men the tools that they needed to reach their communities. And we were determined to love without condition. During the year, we would have intensive courses on purpose. And we would rent hotels and put Jews and Arabs together in the same room. We all survived. What's amazing is that at the end of the year, we celebrated the final course with a foot washing service. We didn't need to fill the buckets with water. There were so many tears. And I'll never forget, as I got down on my knees, you see in Arab culture, there's kind of a, an honor system. And a professor, professor, would never wash the feet of a student, let alone a Jewish professor wash the feet of, an Arab, past, of, of the, an Arab pastor. And it was one of the most amazing moments of my life as I bowed down to wash the feet of Marwan. And Marwan pulled his feet away. He said, how can you, you can't do this. And I said, well, if you don't let me wash your feet, you're going to fail my course. <laughs> I didn't say that. I didn't say that. <laughs> but I should have. But it was one of the most amazing moments as we washed one another's feet. And a hundred years of conflict disappeared in serving one another within the context of the church. Why is the church essential for ministry in the Middle East? Because, because the church is the only place where Jews and Arabs are truly one. Are truly one. I want you to notice verses, and I'm, I'm going through these verses very fast, and I, I apologize. Uh, there is so much here, and I'd encourage you to study it and read it. But look with me in verses 14 through 18. And I have it up here on the screen as well. For he himself is our peace. I want you to notice how many times the word peace occurs. For he himself is our peace who made, both, who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby, thereby killing the hostility. When he came and he preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those 
who were near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. I want you to notice the word one appears over and over and over again in this passage. One, one, one. Two words that also appear several times in this passage. Hostility, hostility, hostility. And then there's peace. And, and peace is really, a, 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 it's something that has been spoken about in Israel for, for many, many years. And peace is, is farther now between Jews and Palestinians than it ever has. And I am a firm believer that politics cannot, absolutely cannot solve the current conflict. There are irreconcilable differences. But I want you to notice that Paul says he is our peace. He made both of us one. How did he do this? I want you to notice it says that he broke down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. We don't know anything about dividing walls in Israel. Jesus came to break down this wall. And as Paul will explain, this dividing wall was actually the Mosaic Covenant. It was the Mosaic Covenant that divided, that kept Jewish people separate. And notice what he says. It's the, he broke down the, and he broken down the, 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 in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. And this is not an easy passage, but as I understand it, Jesus took the judgment of the law upon himself. And in thus doing, he removed or he made null all the claims and accusations that the law had, both against Gentiles for not being Jewish and against Jews for violating the law. And when Jesus died, he broke down that middle wall of partition. I want you to understand, this was highly controversial in Paul's day. What is he saying? God has abolished, (laughs) rendered inoperative the Mosaic Covenant to make Jews and Gentiles one. Paul was writing this letter from prison. Why was he in prison? You remember he was in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 21. And he, as he spoke to his people in the Hebrew language, they quieted down. But do you remember what really got them? But God has called me to the... It's not allowed to curse in church. The Gentiles... And that was way too much because that was the unthinkable. Could you imagine Peter in Acts chapter 10 not only going to a Gentile with the gospel but going to a Roman soldier, a soldier, the very ones who had held Israel captive, the oppressors of the Jewish people, the occupation the first Gentile to come to faith. Could you imagine Peter going back to Jerusalem with his God loves Romans t-shirt? 
And on the back, so do I. The hostility was horrific. And that hostility is still around in the Middle East today. You see, but in Christ, Jews and Arabs, one body without distinctions, there are no second-class citizens in Christ. Notice, he goes on, he says that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. He starts off by saying he is our peace. Now we find out that Jesus makes peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby, thereby killing the hostility. Jesus killed the hostility on the cross. And he came and he preached peace. Jesus is our peace. He made peace. And then he preached peace to Jews and Gentiles. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Same message. Notice verse 18. It's radical. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Do you remember why they first grabbed Paul in Jerusalem in Acts 20, 21, because they thought that he brought a Gentile into the temple area. There was a wall up that said, do not go past this, O Gentile, or your blood is in your hands. Paul is saying something so unbelievably radical. It does not matter Jew or Arab, Jew or Gentile. doesn't matter if you're from the tribe of Levi or not. We all have access. This is in the church. The Middle East needs the church. We need the church. Wild story you're about to hear. Were it not true, I wouldn't believe it. So, as a result of this pastor's program, we realized that the videos that we were doing to reach the Jewish people in Hebrew, we realized to be consistent with our core values of the Great Commission, we needed to start developing videos in Arabic to reach the Muslims. Because God loves the Muslims. God loves Gaza. God loves all the nations. And so what we did is we started to, there's a, a way to actually target certain areas with YouTube clips. I won't get into the details, but there's actually a way that you can target certain areas. And so we, we figured we'd start targeting Gaza. <laughs> and the first person that came to faith, his nickname is Holy War. And holy war came to faith. And so Carlos, our Arab media director, started to disciple holy war. And holy war was baptized. And holy war started going through some pretty severe persecution. Hamas had seen that he was with foreigners 
They didn't know that he was a believer. They saw he was with foreigners. They took him in and they tortured him for seven, seven days. They broke his jaw. It was a horrible situation. Long story short, every week, our Jewish staff was playing, praying for holy war. So here we had our Jewish and our Arab staff coming together weekly to pray for holy war. And God did something very miraculous. He got holy war out of Gaza. And it's really like, they need to make a movie of how he actually got out. I cannot tell you how he got out, but he's out. We're praying for his family. So he ended up getting to another country and he called. And if you'll see, I can't use the pointer, can I? I can. So he called Carlos. And so Carlos was talking to him through a chat and, and he sees Holy War sitting next to an Israeli flag. And Carlos said, what are you nuts? You grew up in Gaza with everything that's happened and all that's happened in Israel, and you're sitting under an Israeli flag? And Holy War said something amazing. He said, you know, every country has its flag, and this, is, this flag belongs to that country. But he said, but in that country, I have family. I have Jewish brothers and sisters who've loved me enough to make sure that I've gotten out and I'm safe and have prayed for me. They are now my family. Only in Christ can hostility be removed. Only in Christ. Why is this church essential for ministry in the Middle East? Because the church is the only place where Jews and Arabs are truly, truly family. Would you notice verses 19 through 21? Amazing verses. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. Notice, amazing. And members of the household of God. There's two components here. They are fellow citizens with the saints. I want you to notice it doesn't say fellow citizens with Israel. Here it's specifically talking about the Jewish believers. I think that's crucial because the church is not Israel. The church is an entirely new creation. That's the point of this passage. God created something completely new. So Gentiles that come to faith in Jesus, they don't become Jews. And Jews that become followers of Jesus, they don't stop being Jewish. But in Christ... We are fellow citizens of this body, of this kingdom. We're one new man. I want you to notice, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints. That's on the horizontal. And members of the household of God. And it was crucial for these Ephesians to understand your family. You've been adopted You belong to God. Who did God choose first? The Jews or the Gentiles? I'm going to catch you. 
According to Ephesians chapter 1, he chose us all before the foundation of the world. And therefore, there's no room to boast. And so when Jews and Arabs come together, we're family. We're near. We're one. I can't do the third one. My hand doesn't work. We're family. So he goes on. Built, it's amazing, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. I want you to notice the imagery. He uses this imagery of a temple. This is quite radical because he's writing this when the temple in Jerusalem was still standing. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The word that he uses here for holy temple is not just the temple precincts. It's actually the holy place and the holy of holies. This is radical. As the temple is standing in Jerusalem, it was for that temple that Jesus was accused of saying things against the temple. Stephen was put to death when they thought he said something against the temple. And here Paul is in prison. Why? Because he insisted on the truth of the mystery of God, that God brought Jews and Gentiles together to become the temple of the living God. And it's such amazing news, truly amazing news. Here's a, a picture of our, so on the right is, is actually my assistant, Rebecca, a Jewish, a Jewish lady, and next to her is our receptionist and student. Her name is Shams. Shams means son, and so this is, none of this is forced. They didn't just, yes, they posed for the picture. Yes, they posed for the picture. Yes, I asked them to smile, but none of this is, is staged because we experience the miraculous power of the gospel every time we come together. What you just saw is one of our chapels, which is quite normal for us, which is weird. Natural is supernatural. So we have chapel every Thursdays where we worship together, which is exactly what Paul said. Why did he bring Jews and Gentiles together? Why does he bring Jews and Arabs together? To get all the glory. And so we worship together. So I'd just like to kind of summarize and then give you some things to ponder. Why is the church essential for ministry in the Middle East in such a divided region? First, because the church is the only place where Jews and Arabs are truly near. God brings us near. It's the only place where bloodshed in the Middle East brings us together. The shed blood of Christ. Because the church is the only place where Jews and Arabs are truly one in the fullest sense of the meaning, we are one. And what we've discovered in Israel is that we desperately need one another. 
to learn how to love, to learn how to live, to learn how to serve. Why is the church essential for ministry in the Middle East? Because the church is the only place where Jews and Arabs are truly family. So what? What does this mean for you here today? I'd like you to think about the importance of a church-driven paradigm for ministry in the Middle East. It's so crucial that you get a high view of the church. Uh, It is our hope, (laughs) the church. I believe it is the only way that leads to genuine love for Jews and Arabs. Remember we started out by talking about the Coke and Pepsi mentality? That mentality does not belong in the church of Jesus Christ. If we understand what the church is, if we understand the gospel, then there's no room whatsoever to despise a people group. Even if that people group is your enemy, there's no room. And so I believe this is a paradigm that really leads to genuine love for Jews and Arabs. Picture of this, I was at a conference, invited with one of my Arab colleagues. The title of the conference was God's Love for Isaac, God's Love for Ishmael. And it was in Japan, 1,200 Japanese evangelicals. And so my colleague was all excited. He said, great, as we were invited to the conference, I'll speak about God's love for Ishmael. You speak about God's love for the Jews. I said, no, 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 no. That's not going to work. I'm Jewish, you're Arab. Let's switch it. Let's talk about, you talk about God's love for the Jewish people. I'll talk about God's love for the Arabs. None of this was forced because that's what God did in our lives. And, we, and it was amazing as Thomas talked about how God, he, he used to hate the Jewish people, felt excluded from all sorts of things in Israel, came to faith and one day realized that his best friend is Jewish. Jesus. And so he was pouring out his love and then I shared from Jonah and I called it God's love for Gaza because really Nineveh was Gaza in that day. And if we take Jonah seriously, then God not only loves Gaza or the Gazans, he even loves their pets. Book of Jonah. And so we got up at the end of the conference and Thomas and I hugged one another. And I I never saw anything like it, 1,200 Japanese crying, right? just crying. And then our Japanese host said, well, what about the Japanese? (laughs) And so he caught up. We did this group hug. Well, after the the message, we were in a group of of evangelicals that were very pro-Israel, okay? And after after the conference, I'll never forget, 400 Japanese lined up, and I was sitting on the line waiting to meet people. None of them wanted to meet me. I watched many Japanese Christians go to Thomas weeping and asking for forgiveness. We're so sorry. We hated the Arabs. We hated the Palestinians. We've not been praying for the Palestinians. We've not been praying for Gaza. We've not been praying for Ramallah. We've not been praying for for the Arab countries. Amazingly, 
the first person to come for, to faith through the ministry of our videos was a Gazan. God loves Gaza. Why this church-driven paradigm for ministry in the Middle East? Because it facilitates genuine love among Jews and Arabs. Not just for Jews and Arabs, but among Jews and Arabs. When you focus on Christ in the context of the church and you're together with Arabs and Jews are together, there's something, I know I'm not supposed to say this, magical. That's the wrong word. Electric, it's the wrong word. But there's something amazing when you see Jews and, and Arabs together, loving one another. I was just in Greece three weeks ago with Jewish and Arab pastors and leaders for a week of spiritual renewal. And we had the most amazing time praying for one another, sharing one another's struggles, bearing one another's burdens, this was something God did among us because in the very first class, there was no love between us. God did that. And finally, this church-driven paradigm provides a powerful platform for the gospel, not just to Jews and Arabs, but to the whole world. I cannot begin to tell you how many opportunities I've had to share the gospel when I'm with my Arab colleague. And we're walking around and talking and sharing. People say, what are you guys doing together? Who are you? What are you? Amazing. One time we were driving here in California. We stopped at this pizza restaurant. We were, as usual, we were loud and joking and speaking in Hebrew. And the guy walks up. He said, what language were you speaking? And I said, oh, or my colleague said, oh, that's Hebrew. He said, oh, so you're Jewish? He says, no, I'm Arab. He's Jewish, but we're brothers in Jesus. <laughs> he said, ha, 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 wait a minute. He says, I'm a Muslim from Lebanon. I never saw anything like this. You guys really enjoy one another. Next thing I know, he gave us free drinks. <laughs> we should have gone for the pizza as well, but... <laughs> But then he brought people out from the kitchen and he was telling everybody, you got to see this. There's a Jew and an Arab sitting here hanging out and enjoying one another because of Jesus. This picture, uh, you could actually see her video. I can't tell you her real name, but she's from Kuwait. And she came from an ultra, ultra, ultra Muslim background. In her country, Jew, Yehudi, was a curse word. And in an amazing way, she came to faith in Jesus. And wouldn't you know it, one of the first things that, that God put in her heart was a love for the Jewish people. And now what she, her ministry is to go to Holocaust survivors. She had never even heard of the Holocaust when she lived in Kuwait. She goes to Holocaust survivor, survivors and shares with them the love of Jesus. You're not going to see this on CNN, right? Or even Fox for that matter. So I'd love to challenge you. you. You may be very focused on the Middle East, but your focus may have created in you a very non-evangelical heart for the Middle East. If you have God's heart for the Middle East, you'll love Jews and Arabs. If you have God's heart for the Middle East, you'll long to see Jews and Arabs loving one another in the church. 
I want to challenge you. Really want to challenge you. If, there, if, if, if you've heard something here today that has moved your heart, like I said, you may be here and I've seen it. You may be here and not love the Arabs. You may be here and say, I don't really love the Jews. I pray that the gospel and the paradigm of the church will make you realize <laughs> that's what it's all about. Jews and Arabs, one in the Messiah, Jesus. Can I pray for you? Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the privilege of sharing your word and thank you for the privilege of sharing about what you've done and what you're doing in the Middle East. And I pray, Father, if there's somebody here that, that really struggles with having a real biblical love for the Arabs, I pray that today would be the day. Pray for repentance and a genuine heart and love. I pray if there's somebody here that, that doesn't love the Jewish people, I pray that you'd remind them that their best friend is Jewish. And Father, I thank you for the privilege of being here at such an amazing forum and all the brothers and sisters here. I pray, God, that eternal fruit would come from our time together. In Jesus' name, amen.